0: Welcome to The Alexander Standard. Today's episode: Alexander IV. the 4th, the Welcome to The Alexander Standard where we rank all the successors of Alexander the Great, from Perdiccas to
1: Cleopatra the 7th.
0: My name is Dustin
1: and I'm Meredith.
0: Uh how you doing there?
1: I'm pretty good.
0: Once again, we're joining you from two separate rooms, which is just to say you look very nice, Meredith, through the computer screen, because I'm in the closet and you're in the living room.
1: Thank you. I also have the touch-up skin filter set to max on my Zoom settings.
0: So that's what's wrong with you.
1: That's, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Anything new to share?
1: Well, we got an email.
0: Oh my gosh. From, from publishers dot That's not even a thing anymore, is it?
1: We got a cease and desist. Yeah. Oh, we got, um, <laughs> no, we got an email from a group called Feedspot that claims I don't know by what rubrics we're in the top twenty-five of Greek history podcasts, which has it. me feeling a little impostery with our yeah. whopping seven yeah. episodes. Yeah,
0: <laughs> like there's no, like there's just no way that it's we're like, that big.
1: All right, sure if you say so. Okay.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'll take it. I'll take that positive reinforcement. (laughs) Love it. I have something I wish to announce to the world. What We want to celebrate victories here. Did you all know that my co-host and dear wife Meredith recently received two awards at her institution of occupation? She was voted best academic advisor. Anyone who knows you knows that you do a great job and you work really hard. And so you totally deserve those awards. One of them was university-wide, y'all. The entire university. Thank that's you. That's huge
1: Thank business. You. What Thank is you it? all.
0: Yeah, that's that—that's big kittens right there, man.
1: I was about to say, that feels a little more legit than the speed spot thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Congratulations, Meredith. And I, Thank as, you. I, as your co-host and husband, am just proud of you. Thank you. every day you impress me. Thanks. Oh yeah, we also got a shout out on Rex Factor.
1: Yeah.
0: Um we're I'm pretty sure this means we're famous now.
1: Oh, yeah, I I was doing it. it's like your father finally acknowledges
0: <laughs> you <laughs> exist. <laughs> that that that's that's sad but also quite fitting for today's episode no because we're talking about someone who would have liked to have his father's approval he would have liked to have had a conversation with his dad mm-hmm. well great segue meredith
1: <laughs> there we go. didn't even plan it
0: but seriously though thank you to rex factor for giving us that very generous shout out they are the inspiration for all the rexapods so recognition from them is huge
1: Hey everyone, this is Meredith. Before we get started today, we wanted to take the time to share with you another RexyPod Battle Royale. They're ranking all the kings and emperors of France. I'm really enjoying it. My grandmother was a lover of all things French, but according to my 23 and me, we're a bit more German than we are French. I won't tell her, but make sure to check them out. They're really great.
0: Bonjour and bienvenue to the podcast you are currently listening to. Je m'appelle Ben Clark and I host the podcast Battle Royale, where my best friend Eliza and I pass judgment on all the kings and emperors of France from Clovis to Napoleon III. Those who we do not deem worthy will be sent to the guillotine. So subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and join us on our macabre adventure from the Dark Ages to the French Revolution, and help us decide who's ahead and who's headless at Battle Royale French Monarchs. That's Battle Royale colon French Monarchs, wherever you get your podcasts. Today we're talking about Alexander Fourth. King of Macedon and son of the famous Alexander the Great. Technically speaking, though, since the Greek used letters instead of num- numerical ordinals, for example, Alpha for first, Beta for second, Gamma for third, we could technically refer to Alexander the Fourth as Alexander Delta. <gasps> could but we? You like that?
1: Well, what's your what's your butt
0: well no my joke is like that sounds like a mashup between the uh, like an airline and a 90s gi joe character that didn't make the cut for the cartoon show or even get his own action figure that's true but i might be a party pooper if it sounds like you would like alexander delta
1: what do you think's going to roll off the tongue easier just making sure what. we're consistently saying alexander the fourth or alexander delta
0: Oh, what I was going to say is, so to avoid confusion, I was going to refer to Alexander the Fourth consistently, or as much as possible, as "baby" or "lil Alex." That's his rapper name. I like name. that.
1: I like that. Like little Alex.
0: In any case, dear listener, I'm going to try my best to be clear in my distinction between Alexander the Great and Alexander the Fourth, but I might mess up. In which case, I'm sorry, but deal with it. Etymology, not much to cover in the etymology of baby Alex's name, since by virtue... Yes, Meredith, you have a question?
1: Not a question. Oh, yes. I know his name, (gasps) same as his father. Indeed. defender of the people.
0: Indeed. According to Liddell and Scott's Greek-English lexicon, the name is a compound of two words, alexane, meaning to assist, to defend, or ward off, while ander comes from aner, meaning man in the broadest sense, or even ambiguously as an individual, so, such as a person, so... Say it one more time, Meredith.
1: Defender of the people.
0: Indeed. But I did find another tidbit while researching his name, which is a bit hilarious. And as we found out last episode means that you probably won't laugh at it, but I did. And it's kind of insulting to baby Alex. Aw. For a while, it was believed that baby Alex didn't, ha- didn't in fact have a nickname. Okay. Which would be Aegos. Mm-hmm. That's A-E-G-O-S.
1: Oh, I I spelled it with an I.
0: No, that would actually no, that would be correct. I'm sorry. That oh. that is that is actually the correct one. A I G O S. Yeah, nailed no, it. No,
1: I spelled it I G U
0: S. Ah, then then everyone was wrong. So the name, however, is meaningless. To quote the 1911 edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica, and it comes from a misreading of a much later Greek source, the Chronology by Claudius Ptolemyus. No one pay attention to the fact that he's named Ptolemy. That has nothing to do with anything. This guy would have been writing in like the late 100s CE. So he was 400 years after the fact. And the word that was mistranslated was actually in instead of Igos, it was alos, meaning the other. But what this means is that Alexander IV was known in the ancient world as the other Alexander, which I think is just salt in the wound and therefore humorous.
1: It makes sense.
0: Yeah. Background. Woo. What a ride. It's a short ride, but it's a ride. (laughs) Buckle up. Buckle up, (laughs) buckaroo.
1: We're here. Yeah, it's (laughs) like rock
0: and roller coaster, which is totally a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. Please, Meredith, tell the story.
1: So I once worked for the Disney College program and Dustin came to visit me and that was the first time Dustin had ever been to Disney World and we were spending our day at Hollywood Studios and I was very excited to take him on my favorite ride, Rockin' Roller Coaster, coaster. which as the title means or or should convey, it's a roller coaster. So we're waiting for our time. We're in the loading dock and we see the first car of people shoot off on the roller coaster and Dustin turns to me and says, what kind of ride is this? Oh,
0: this is a roller coaster.
1: And that's when I learned for the first time, one, he's scared of roller coasters and two, me saying rocking roller coaster all day long had not fully cemented in his brain what we were about to go on, but it
0: was over fast. (laughs) These names can be showboating sometimes, Meredith. I thought yeah. rock and roller coaster was just them trying to sound awesome. I was like, yes. Well, Meredith, last episode, you asked when we would get someone for whom we knew a lot about their early life. Well, baby Alex may be that guy because he's only got an early life. because
1: That's all we have.
0: But we say that considering that, in fact, he lived to be 50. So, ladies and gentlemen, no, we are. He
1: did not. Oh,
0: dear listeners, we're so proud now because Meredith saw right through my crap right then. And she gave me the old eyebrow raise. No, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Alexander Fourth was born in either late 323 or early 322 in Babylon. His father was a minor, relatively unknown Macedonian king from the Argiad dynasty named Alexander III, also called Alexander the Great. He did not really accomplish a lot in his life. He did conquer the Persian Empire, but then when he died on June 11th, 323, baby Alex was still in his mommy's tum-tum. The sarcasm there being that his dad is Alexander the Great, and we know a great deal about him. <laughs> this has been Dustin. Okay, speaking of which, baby Alex's mom was a lady named Roxana.
1: Roxanne. I will say, every yes. podcast I've heard mention her in some way. They inevitably do break into the Roxanne song.
0: Oh my gosh. That means it's the ancient version of Sweet Caroline. Bop, ba bop. So Roxana. She was the daughter of a Bactrian nobleman named Oxiartes, the satrap of Bactria, and also a region called Sogdia. To give you a geographical perspective, Bactria and Sogdia were regions in Central Asia that encompassed the stands, like Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan. Kurdistan, but especially and centered in Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, and northern Afghanistan. Just as we did for our Hadayas and Eurydice, and because we have so little for Alex the Fourth, let's go ahead and talk about Roxana. Okay. All right. Roxana's name comes from Old Iranian, in which I confess to have zero training, and apparently means shining, radiant, or brilliant. She was born around 340 BCE, and as we said, was the daughter of a Bactrian nobleman named Oxirtes. Now, Oxyartes had served under a guy named Besos. Do you remember who Besos was?
1: Besos. Yes. He's that satrap that rebelled against Darius and actually ended up killing him. Mm Yep. And then Alex killed Besos.
0: Yeah, he was uh, ripped apart Mm -hmm. because of that reliable Bactrian lumber. And even after Besos was defeated. Oxyartes actually continued to resist Alexander in the Macedonian army for a time. Eventually, however, Alexander defeated these Perso Bactrian holdouts. And at a celebration to commemorate this victory, he reportedly met and immediately fell in love with Roxana. I think it's the implication that she was captured after a battle because Oxyartes wasn't there, apparently.
1: Oh, well, yes. Yeah very different than that one youtube scene i watched from the alexander the great movie
0: could be wrong just the source that you i know, was you're reading but prob-
1: you're probably right
0: I re- yeah well <laughs> i frequently am wrong no i think th- it was and this may be me misunderstanding it but from the source i read it was and i was trying <laughs> to cut down on things but there was like a fortress where a lot of them were kind of had to win their last stand and they were defeated but then like Roxanna's there because there were some people who were captured, and the Noxiartes hears about Alexander falling in love with Roxana. He's like, oh, okay, maybe I can do a peace treaty now. This would bring us to the year 327, where Alexander married Roxana in a Macedonian marriage ceremony, not a Persian ceremony. The significance here is that Alexander's Macedonian commanders and soldiers were not really keen on him marrying another foreign woman now Meredith.
1: Which would imply he's already married to another foreign woman?
0: Yes. Oh, you...
1: oh, oh, Darius's daughters.
0: Nope. But hold on to that one. Who else would he have married, supposedly? That,
1: uh, the woman that may or may not have existed. Barsina?
0: Barsina. If the story about Barsina is to be believed, then Roxana is his second, but like you're thinking, not his final wife, as we shall see. But, as multiple scholars on Alexander the Great have pointed out, namely... Albert Bosworth, and Elizabeth Carney, among others, a marriage to Roxana had significant advantages. Indeed, Carney states that the marriage to Roxana represents yet another example of Alexander's gift for improvisation. Uh, yeah, he does improv, you know, at my open mic nights. Uh, a, lot as of, recall, a lot of
1: yes ending.
0: <laughs> at this point in his campaign, most of the Persian Empire had already been conquered and the proper Persian army had been defeated. All that remained at the time, and was currently a thorn in Alexander's side, was rebels, claimants, and holdouts on the peripheries and frontiers of the empire, which included the Bactrians and Sogdians. At this point, Alexander was getting ready for his expedition into India, so he needed his backyard clean and settled before he tangled with dim elephants in India. Thus, by 327, Alexander was likely not interested in a grand political marriage, but more in a union that could conciliate the remaining pockets of Persian resistance. Marriage to Roxana, then, daughter of a Bactrian nobleman and former supporter of Bessus, provided just such an opportunity. But remember, and I'm foreshadowing here dramatically Roxana may not be Alexander's final wife. In any case, he did marry her in 327 and then <sniffs> off to India. While there, Alexander appointed Roxana's father, Oxiartes, as the satrap of the Hindu Kush region, which I think further demonstrates the political utility of the marriage. A phrase that I made up that I think makes me sound like a smarty farty and a snooty patootie. And now, Meredith, it's time for a new segment of the Alexander Standard. It's called Unrelated Factoid. Unrelated Factoid. While writing the script, I did indeed type the phrase snooty patootie into the, <laughs> into the document, wherein I learned two things. For one, there is a correct spelling of patootie. Oh. Which is to say that I misspelled it at first. The correct spelling is P-A-T-O-O-T-I-E. So then I thought, well, if that's the case, then it's a proper word. And I looked it up. Patootie may come from the word potato. (laughs) (laughs) Number three, colloquially, however, a patootie may refer to a girlfriend, an attractive girl, or the buttocks of a person or animal. Thus, by calling myself a snooty patootie, I am therefore stating that I am a condescending, attractive, potato-budded lady. (laughs) And this has been unrelated factoids moving on as for what roxana was doing take two so for uh, take three so moving on shut up take four so moving on <laughs> as for what roxana was doing during alexander's persian campaign we don't really know <laughs> keep the takes with your life. i want
1: to keep it all
0: yeah okay sure sure do it the,
1: the shut up <laughs> <laughs> We'll see how we feel about it.
0: (laughs) According to the historian Ernst Badian, most likely the case that Alexander left Roxana behind in the city of, no, I'm laughing at it, in the city of Susa, the capital of the Susiana region, while he was on campaign in India. This is based on the fact that Alexander had also left Darius's mother and his daughters in Susa before proceeding to chase after Bezos in Bactria. So this would be a standard practice, is the point. But an obscure source for the Roman period, the so-called Metz epitome, suggests that not only that Roxana may have accompanied Alexander into India, but also she may have given birth to another child from Alexander, a baby boy <gasps> who unfortunately may have died shortly after childbirth. Mm. This comes from a single reference in the Metz epitome, Interim Filius Alexandri. Ex Roxane Moritur, which would mean, meanwhile, the son of Alex from Roxane had died. If it's true, and it is debated, this would take place around the autumn of 326. I will go ahead and tell you that there is no historical consensus on the veracity of the claim that Alexander and Roxana had a child that died so soon. Some historians believe it, others don't, and neither side really gives an explanation for their reasoning. But now we skip ahead to 324. When Alexander returned to Susa, he married another woman named Statera, the daughter of the former Persian king Darius III. As opposed to Roxana, whose marriage had more immediate political utility, according to Ernst Badian again, this marriage was explicitly, quote, in order to strengthen his claim to Persian legitimacy. Hopefully, Roxana doesn't get jelly out of this.
1: No. Bringing Actually, us, I, I, I would. That's clearly yeah, a much it's, more valuable marriage. Yeah,
0: it's, yeah, that's kind of like, oh, you were great. Now I'm going to go marry a daughter of the king,
1: someone that matters.
0: Ooh, yes. So now, dear listeners, I don't want to shock you, but in June of the following year, 323, Alexander died. Yes, I understand this is a shock. This being the 10th episode of the podcast, I know it may seem somewhat of a surprise, especially since we haven't mentioned it up to this point, but. Suffice to say, gather yourselves, take a deep breath. <gasps> In June of 323, Alexander did die. Yes, it's true. Uh, now. Now, steady, steady. The shocks aren't over. It was also the case when Alexander the Great died. There were no plans for the succession. Yes. yes, I know. I know, Meredith. Stop pulling your hair out. Stop weeping. Put the cat down. <laughs> Even worse, Roxana was currently pregnant with Alexander's baby when he died. Oh no! Oh! Okay, but for real, we have heard the story many times about the partition of the empire after Alexander died. So I will spare you the redundant details. All we need to know is the following bullet points. One, some people wanted to split up the empire. Two, some people, mainly the infantry, wanted to make Alexander's brother, Arhidaeus, king. Three, some people, mainly the top commanders in the cavalry, wanted to wait and see if Roxana's baby was a boy, and if so, to make him king. Hashtag sexism. Hashtag feminism. Four. In the end, the compromise was Alexander's brother, Arhadias, would become king, and Roxana's baby, when born and if male, would rule as co-king, with Perticus acting as the regent for both kings. Really, my chief motivation for skipping over that so fast was so I don't have to tell Maligar's story again.
1: No, we don't need ha- to hear it. It's like
0: that. It's at the point you where know, I, I I hate ever. his name. Like the the sound of that name is painful yeah. to me. There is one detail surrounding the partition, however, that does warrant mention since it involves Roxana directly. I think you know where I'm going.
1: Oh, I know what it is.
0: Oh, do you know who it is? Yeah, who is it?
1: First off, tone. Second, <laughs> second, because I'm a good listener. Oh, she no. she kills his other wives.
0: You're right. Yeah, she does. Within only a month or so after Alexander the Great's death, so it puts us around July or August 323, even before giving birth, Roxana and Perdiccas collaborated in murdering Alexander's third wife, Statera, as well as her sister, Trapetus. And I just feel like Trapetus is like, I had nothing to do,
1: I to say, Why do you want to kill with any of this.
0: You know, I guess no loose ends. Oh, but...
1: oh, well, no. She's a daughter of Darius. so oh, that's somebody... right. So if somebody wanted to try and just snatch the Persian part.
0: I feel like if you're born from a king or a queen, at some point you might just look around and be like, damn it. Because yeah. either everybody is going to be trying to kill you or marry you. And it's just like, no one likes me for me.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> According to Plutarch's biography of Alexander the Great, our only source for this deed, it went down something like this. Now Roxana was with child, and on this account she was held in honor among the Macedonians. But she was jealous of Statera, and therefore deceived her by a forged letter into coming where she was. And when she had gotten there, slew her, together with her sister, threw their bodies into the well, and filled the well with earth, Perdiccas being privy to the deed and partner in it. I love that last thing. That she's like, she did this, she did this. Perticus knew about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that would make it sound like she killed them personally.
0: That's my headcanon, but I'm sure that she being, you know, pregnant. five, six months pregnant, probably got someone to help her do it. I would hope.
1: Yeah.
0: That's so weird. It's like, I'm hoping that she killed someone in, in a certain way. <laughs> well,
1: no, I'm, I'm flashing back. Maybe it was Perticus's episode where I'm like, I just want her to have a stress-free final trimester and now i'm hearing that she was murdering people well during that time that
0: would be the end of her second trimester so her third was probably clear sailing
1: it was stress-free
0: yeah there you go She killed them we don't ever want to send the message (laughs) but but it is technically true that after that she had no stress towards the end of 323 then after the division of the empire appeared to have been settled and all her rivals dead Roxana indeed gave birth to a healthy baby boy who was destined for a long fruitful life as the ruler of a peaceful united prosperous scandal-free Macedonian empire whom she named Alexander after his daddy a young king we shall henceforth know as Alexander the 4th or affectionately here at the old standard as baby Alex it's hard to give an exact birth date for baby Alex I did find one reference in Curtius Rufus who said that Roxana was five months pregnant when Alexander died, which would suggest a birthday for the Wee bairn sometime around October, maybe November.
1: I vote that his birthday is November 4th because that is our wedding day.
0: Let's roll with it. Okay. Now and forever. Now, Roxana's story absolutely does not end here, and we have no intention of marginalizing her presence. But from this point further, her story is intertwined with that of baby Alex. So now let's turn back to him. Now, this next sentence I'm going to say, Meredith, is also an idea for a t-shirt whenever we start doing merch. You ready? Yes. As for his early life, not much is known.
1: God dang it!
0: Yes. Just as was the case with Arhadias, references to both Baby Alex and Roxana disappear for the next couple of years. And what we do have is scattered and ambiguous. Like we already said, we do know from the terms at the partition of Babylon that the two co-kings, Arhadias and Baby Alex, were under the guardianship of Perticus in Babylon. Now, let's pause and consider a question that has actually puzzled historians, both ancient and modern, for a long time. And that is the actual status of Baby Alex number four and his relationship with, and vis-a-vis, his uncle and co-king, Arhadias aka Philip III. That is, Were they always co-kings from the start? Were their responsibilities divided? Did one king have more power than the other? In answering this question, we turn to a fascinating 1973 article by Christian Habicht, who summarized the controversy and provided a solution. And when I say it was a fascinating article, trust me, I am nerding out hardcore here. All right, the confusion among modern historians is understandable, however, and largely due to the fact that the ancient sources themselves are confused. For instance, sometimes Arhadias is referred to solely as king. But then we also see references to Arhadias and baby Alex collectively as the kings. As one example, in Book 18 of Diodorus Siculus, he says, at Chapter 2, Section 4, that after Alexander the Great died, Arhadias was immediately made king. A bit later, however, at Chapter 18, Diodorus, for the first time, and thereafter invariably refers to the kings collectively. Thus, some modern scholars think that either Arhadias was seen as the sole king until his own death in 316, or Arhidaius was intended to rule until baby Alex grew up and then stepped down, which would make Arhadias himself kind of like a regent, or that both kings indeed ruled jointly. But Arhadias had more power, making Baby Alex more of a quote minor co ruler without legal equality and excluded from substantial acts of state. So those are the theories among modern historians. In the end, here's what Christian Habicht says is probably the case. He says it is true, Arhadias may have briefly been treated as the sole king at first while everyone waited on Roxana to give birth. Furthermore, since news travels slowly in the ancient world, even after baby Alex was born, it would take a while for people to hear about it, during which time it would make sense that we would continue to hear about Arhadias in the context as the sole king. But The important point here for our episode is as soon as baby Alex's birth became public knowledge, he seems to have been uniformly recognized as an equal co-king alongside his uncle, Arhadias. This is supported not only by the literary evidence already mentioned, but also by the fact that multiple inscriptions have been found throughout Greece and Macedon that refer to both kings by name. The significance of all of this is going to become relevant again, when we start to consider the length of baby Alex's reign. So moving Whoa. on. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's I right. It all had all a I... purpose.
1: Well, no, I was just like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, all <you> know... <laughs> this is great,
0: but doesn't matter. It's like, aha, but it will. So moving on. By mid 320, baby Alex was in Egypt. We know this because Perticus was in Egypt attacking Ptolemy and feeding his men to crocodiles, ultimately being stabbed by his own men. Thus, in a flash, was the beginning and the end of the first war of the Diadochi. Now, even here, we have another indication that these kings were not looked at as puppets, but possibly as legitimate future rulers of the empire. This is because after Perticus died, the question immediately turned to who would be the new regent and guardian of the kings. Furthermore, Arian states that Ptolemy crossed over from the Nile into Perticus's former camp, quote, to visit the kings upon whom he bestowed gifts and treated them with the utmost kindness and attention furthermore we know that baby alex was duly recognized as a pharaoh in egypt just like his dad and uncle arhadias we That's forgot about
1: so cute. it
0: is adorable we forgot about we forgot to mention arhadias's pharaonic title in his episode for which we are so sorry but baby alex's titulary was as follows <clears throat> the youthful one powerful for strength beloved of the gods to whom the office of his father was given victorious ruler in the entire land he who continually rejoices over the mind of ra chosen by amon alexander i swear i think the ancient egyptians were like up on like movie previews Mm -hmm. way before we were because all of that like youthful one beloved victorious continually rejoices alexander this summer Perticus is dead. <laughs> in case you can't tell, I'm already starting to write the script for Ptolemy's commercial. Meanwhile, after Perticus <laughs> died, two of his former lieutenants were briefly p- placed in command of the army and acted as regents, and they moved north into Syria, where they were met by Antipater at a place called Treparadesus. There, after a bit of tension spurned on by Eurydice, our certified best girl. Best girl. Control over the empire and regency of the kings was ultimately granted. Old man Antipater, and after reaffirming most of the satrapal assignments and allotting a few new ones since there were some vacancies due to death or being outlawed, <clears throat> Perdiccas and Eumenes, Antipater proceeded home towards Macedon with both kings in tow. Now we have the briefest, ever so briefest details of what life may have been like, not only for Archidamus but also and especially for today's episode, baby Alex. While he looked they looked were... at
1: Antipater and said, "Are you my grandpa?" <laughs>
0: Unfortunate! oh my god
1: <laughs> he needs a father figure oh my god
0: i just realized you know those like those like disney shows or kids shows where it's like some baby animals discovered and it looks around like oh you're my mom uh so we have the briefest details for what life was like for baby alex while he was under antipater's guardianship <laughs> are you my dad first we can infer from a later passage in Deodorus secular that baby Alex was brought up in the customary manner of Macedonian royalty. He was raised alongside companions of similar age, possibly, I, I just combined the words probably and possibly, possibly <laughs> other nobles. And he had a royal education in Greek that would be agoge basilicae. We also know that baby Alex had bodyguards assigned to him at some point, which was the standard procedure for a Macedonian king. The same was the case for his dad, Alexander. And we... We know that because a lot of his bodyguards are involved in these civil wars now, and even for his uncle and co-king, Hadias. We know this from a very, very fragmentary inscription from Athens that referred to at least two men, Euleus and another guy named Philip, both of whom were identified as bodyguards of Alexander. There may be a third guy, but, but I couldn't find him. Now, I myself stumbled onto something interesting that to my knowledge, no one is mentioned. And if right, I'm totally going to write an article about it, in which case no one can take credit for it since I'm calling dibs now. Hands off losers.
1: TM, TM.
0: Do the names of those two bodyguards sound familiar? Yolaus and Philip. If not, that's okay. Well, yeah, I
1: mean, Philip, because we've yeah, had two people named, named Philip. everyone's yeah. mm-hmm. You're going to
0: have some more, too. What about Yolaus?
1: Mm, no.
0: Those are actually the names of two of Antipater's sons.
1: Oh.
0: Which would indeed suggest that upon taking charge of the two kings, Antipater was surrounding them with prominent people that he could trust. As for um, Antipater's tenure as Regent of the Kings, we do know, of course, that it was ultimately short-lived because Antipater died the following year in early 319 after succumbing to a nasty case of being old. Happens
1: to the best of us.
0: But we'll be right back after these messages. Getting old is a disease that can strike slowly without warning. Everyone can be affected. Symptoms may include not remembering your grandkids' names, not remembering if you have grandkids, exhaling loudly when you sit down, grunting when you stand up, yelling at those kids to get off your lawn, finding fault with all forms of media, being offended at others enjoying things, missing hair, shaking your fist and yelling at the sky, the ability to enumerate various societal problems, each of which are, what's wrong with the world today? Be sure to talk to your doctor today to see if you've contracted being old hey kids
1: did your dad promise you your own greek kingdom but you never got it don't worry kids because now from the people who brought you crocodile shoes is the my greek kingdom play set my, my greek, greek kingdom. kingdom with my greek kingdom you're the real king and people have to listen to you equip your soldiers with pointy sticks or longer pointy sticks travel around your kingdom wherever and whenever you want. My Greek Kingdom! Assign governors to rule your provinces. Make important decisions. With the My Greek Kingdom playset, you're always important and all your subjects love you.
0: My Greek Kingdom!
1: My Greek Kingdom looks and feels just like a real kingdom. And with the Persian Empire Expansion Pack, you can rule the eastern provinces, including India. And you get your own Lucky the Elephant, who can only turn left. My Greek Kingdom! Rule your empire. Make decisions. Be respected. But be careful. If you play with My Greek Kingdom for too long...
0: Mean old Cassander's gonna get you. <laughs>
1: The kingdom depends on you. My Greek kingdom! Kingdom.
0: Some assembly required. Stability and legitimacy sold separately. My Greek kingdom is not a real Greek kingdom and you don't have any actual power. One day someone might throw you in a dungeon and throw away the key.
1: My Greek Greek Kingdom. kingdom!
0: And we're back. Brings us to 319. Like we said, Antipater dies. Well, whereas Alexander the Great didn't have a succession plan, and which totally screwed up the empire. Antipater did have a clear succession plan, uh, and it doesn't completely screw up the empire, but it does encourage other people to completely screw up the empire. And so, as we saw in the episodes on Antipater himself, as well as Arhadias, Antipater had a son, Cassander. Now, although Cassander was 36 at the time, Antipater thought that Cassander was too young to replace dear old, and we mean old dad, in administering the empire and acting as regent for the kings. Instead, on his deathbed, Antipater handed over the regency of the kings in control of the empire to an upper middle-aged slash young geriatric veteran commander named Polyparicon, who we at the old standard have designated as the sad dancing clown. Uh, now I have a Dustin edit. So my anxiety and um, integrity as a young professional historian requires me to point out there's no evidence that Polyparicon was actually a clown. Though he was apparently quite the salacious dancer in his later years, as we will find out in his episode. Well, Cassander doesn't like this, and he immediately makes an alliance with Antigonus the One-Eyed, who is currently in Anatolia fighting Eumenes, and his good buddy in Egypt, that most clever of clever beavers, Ptolemy. This new alliance of Cassander, Ptolemy, and Antigonus against the regency of Polypericon, and eventually joined by Olympias and Eumenes, would lead to the Second War of the Diadochoi, which would last from 318 to 15. From this point in our story, things get rather weird for the kings of Macedon. During the brief period of peace between the First and Second Wars, which lasted just a couple of months, we do know that Antipater, and then Polyparagon, often sent letters or published decrees in the names of the kings, sometimes even speaking for them. We'll be addressing some examples pretty soon, and indeed we've already seen them in the case of Arhadias in his episode, but as before, uh, this would commonly take the form of references in general terms to the kings collectively. Now we are moving into early 318. As a Final bit of background info, we will recall that Olympias, mother of Alexander the Great, is still around, and she famously never got along with Antipater. In fact, their feud was so intense that Olympias apparently decided to leave Macedon as early as 330, going back to her homeland in Epirus. And as a reminder, Epirus was to the west-southwest of Macedon, whose people, called the Epirots, were kind of sort of half Greek, half barbarian, but don't tell them that, cousins to the Macedonians. We'll talk more about Epirus in a later episode, but it will suffice to say that, for better or for worse, Epirus and Macedon have a close-ish relationship. Case in point, Olympias herself was an Epirot princess from the ruling Ayakidae dynasty. Well, Polypericom was pretty keen on what Cassander was up to, and he knew that a storm was a from the east. Consequently, Poly a Crackercon needs allies to shore up his legitimacy in the Macedonian homeland. And who better? In the charismatic snake-worshipping, sleeping with the serpents, killing anyone who got in her way. Hashtag mom boss herself Olympias. Pronounced <laughs> menacingly. <laughs> Thus, in early 318, Polypericon sends an annoying Evite to Olympias, asking her to return to Macedon as soon as possible, to take charge of the son of Alexander and to assume responsibility for him until he should become of age and receive his father's king. Now, by mid-318, Polypericon himself left Macedon and moved south into Greece, where he was anticipating an attack from Cassander and trying to shore up Greek support there. The significance here is we have a brief reference to Polypericon in central Greece with both kings, and he may have been en route to pick up Olympias at the time. Soon after, as war with Cassander seemed more inevitable, both Polypericon and Olympias sent messages to our best boy, Eumenes, in Anatolia, in the name of both kings, an important detail in a moment, promoting him to the role of co-regent for the kings, and asking him to come to their aid in Macedon. At some point over the course of 318, however, Arhadias and Eurydice may have made their way back to Macedon with or without Polypericon. We know this because by early 317, our certified best girl Eurydice, acting on behalf and in the name of her husband, Arhadias, invited Cassander to come and seize powered Macedon. Eurydice did this because she probably correctly assumed that Olympias, upon her eventual return in assumption of the guardianship over baby Alex, was going to kill both Arhadias and Eurydice in order to place Baby Alex on the throne. So now we have some back and forth in control over Macedon, which is kind of confusing, but let's just go ahead and push through it. And I know that we've been doing a lot of backup, but that's just because we've got next to nothing about Alexander Fourth, and all I've got is what everyone else around him was doing. By now, in 317, Cassander and Polypericon are maneuvering and skirmishing in Greece. Shortly after Eurydice sent the invitation to Cassander, however, he came up north, from Greece and kicked Polypericon out of Macedon It's possible that Polypericon wasn't even in Macedon at the time, in which case he was in Greece, in which case Cassander just, you know, kicked out the regime that was in control at the time. The effect in either case was the same. He puts Eurydice and Arhadias in control. And then, no sooner than he arrived in Macedon and took over the country, Cassander then departed again to go back down into Greece and tangle with Sparta, who apparently was still a thing and totally mattered somehow. (laughs) But in doing so, Cassander had left Macedon Vulnerable. Capitalizing on this moment, Polyparicon linked back up with Olympias, who had brought troops from Epirus and marched back to retake Macedon from Eurydice and Arhadias. And although we don't have clear evidence of this, there is distinct reason to believe that baby Alex was present in the camp of Olympias and Polyparicon at the time.
1: I like to imagine him in his own little chariot with his own little sword. Go get him.
0: He's just playing with his My My Greek Kingdom playset
1: hmm How old is he now?
0: Thank you for asking. So Alexander IV at this point in 317 is about six or seven years old. Don't even know no better. Can't even speak a word yet. As we saw in Arhidias' own episode, even though certified best girl Eurydice was totally willing to throw down with Olympias, her Macedonian troops couldn't bring themselves to actually attack the mother and son of Alexander the Great. Instead, they betrayed Hadias and Eurydice we were both captured and put to death by Olympias. Subsequently, as we'll find out, poor Polyparicon may have been overshadowed by the larger than life presence of Olympias, and he recedes into the background for a bit. Now I'm going to a new section of my script. It's section six. It says, Soul King. Thus it was then, thus it was, that with the death of his uncle and co king, Arhadias, in mid 317, Baby Alex is now the sole king of the Macedonian Empire. In fact, some sources place the beginning of his reign to this date, which is why I spent all that time talking about their status when he was born. But we'll deal with that a little bit in the Kronos category. Now, I'm actually going to save the details on Olympias and the rest of her stuff for the episode on Cassander, since they have a bit of a hate-hate relationship. It'll suffice to say for now that Olympias ruled in Macedon briefly with an iron fist and reportedly began to massacre her opponents there which included many people who had previously supported Antipater and therefore likely supported Cassander. So she doesn't make any friends while she's there. But she hangs in maybe a good six months. This brings us to 316. Sadly for Olympias, she didn't succeed in holding on to Macedon very long. Poor Polypericon was unable to hold off Cassander's army, and he was outmaneuvered by Cassander, who rushed into Macedon and retook the country. So by early 316... And I'm talking about January or February, so real early. Cassandra had already besieged Olympias in the city of Pydna. Ironically, this may be where Olympias herself had captured Eurydice the year before, so this is kind of poetic. Now, to be fair, Olympias held out for a while in Pydna. And, most importantly for us, several stories do explicitly state that she had baby Alex there with her. Interestingly, this is also where we learn something new about baby Alex. Apparently, Grandma Olympias which I can't believe we haven't <laughs> been making that joke yet. Uh, <laughs> Grandma Olympias was a bit of a matchmaker because we are told that among those besieged in Pydna were Deidamia, or Deidamia, daughter of the King of Epirus, who was intended as Alex IV's fiancée. So he had a girlfriend. Eventually, however, Olympias was indeed forced to surrender to Cassander, who promptly had her executed. And if you want to hear more about the final days of Olympias, and boy, oh boy, it gets wild and Stinky, tune in to our future episode about Cassander. Now Cassander's back in control of Macedon, and he now has custody of both Baby Alex and his mom, Roxana. Polypericon's on the run. We'll talk more about him in his episode. Okay, so Cassander wasn't really nice to Baby Alex, and you can mm-hmm. tell that he A, didn't like the idea of the Argiad, monarchic line that is, you know, continuing to maintain the dynasty of Alexander the Great. He wasn't a fan. B, He realized, however, that he couldn't kill baby Alex because that might upset people. C, he recognized that he could use baby Alex as a source of political leverage, but also D, that he may be as much of a liability as he was a source of strength. So don't know what to do with this kid. For the time being then, Cassandra decided that it was best to place baby Alex and his mommy, Roxanna, under guard in the city of Amphipolis. Guard? Yeah, Exactly. Diodorus gives us a comprehensive synopsis of both Cassander's motives and his treatment of baby Alex and Roxana. I'm going to try to give you a little nudge. Here we go. Cassander had de- determined to do away with Alexander's son and his mother, Roxana, For well, there might be no successor to the kingdom, but for the present, since he wished to observe what the common people would say about the slaying of Olympias, and since she had no news of Antigonus' success, he placed Roxana and the child in custody, transferring them to the city of Amphipolis in command under which he placed Glaukios, one of his most trusted henchmen. Also, he took away the pages who, according to custom, were being brought up as companions of the boy, and he ordered that he should no longer have the royal treatment, but only as much as was proper for any ordinary person of private station. I'm Ted Nugent. <laughs> That's a bad one, but we're all no, I was,
1: I was getting a little more of the uh, host of the Twilight Zone.
0: I think you're I, I heard like, imagine if you will, like, like I heard my mid-Atlantic accent coming into my Minnesota accent, which is, as you and I know, is common. I'm like whenever I play D&D and I try to make an accent for a character, they will always become Russian or Spanish. Section seven, later life. OK, now, after his imprisonment at the hands of Cassander in 316, the sources are quite silent about maybe Alex as well as his mom, Roxana. By now, it seems that any pretense of protecting baby Alex and raising him up to be the next king when he was old enough was almost completely dropped because they basically locked this kid up and forgot he was there. Meanwhile, over the next year or so, 316 to 315, Cassander continued to consolidate his position in Macedon in Greece. But eventually, his relationship with his former ally, Antigonus, devolved to the point of outright hostility, leading us to the third war of the diadochi which began in 314 and, to th- and ran to 311 all of this we will cover in later episodes but during this time baby alex and roxana remained cooped up in amphipolis almost completely forgotten according to elizabeth carney however even though cassander may have exercised royal power in macedon from this point forward baby alex remained king now I know I went into a lot of detail earlier, but that's because I was trying to squeeze as much water from this stone as I could. So from 316, let's skip ahead to 310. Full six years, because I got nothing for you, man. Oh, I got wow. nothing. I could squeeze out these little details here and there for the rest of it. 316 to 310, I got nothing. We don't hear anything from baby Alex and Roxana until late 310. Keep in mind at this point, baby Alex is 13 to 14 years old. He's getting close to adulthood which becomes a very um, important point very soon. The year before, in 311, that third war of the Diadochi had come to an end. Antigonus had agreed to a peace treaty with Cassander, Ptolemy, and a guy named Lysimachus. This treaty marked a turning point in the history of the Hellenistic world, especially in regard to baby Alex. And what I mean by that is, our story is about to come to an abrupt end. no. Here's the terms of the treaty, according to Diodorus Siculus, who is our sole literary source for the treaty. It was provided that Cassander would be general of Europe until Alexander, the son of Roxana, should come of age, that Lysimachus should rule Thrace, and that Ptolemy should rule Egypt, and the cities and the cities adjacent thereto in Libya and Arabia, that Antigonus should have first place in all of Asia, and that the Greeks should be autonomous. However, they did not abide by these agreements but each of them putting forward plausible excuses kept seeking to increase his own power. Now Cassander perceived that Alexander, the son of Roxanne, was growing up and word was being spread throughout Macedon by certain men that it was fitting to release the boy from custody and give him his father's kingdom. Fearing for himself, he instructed Glaukios, who was in command of the guard of the child, to murder Roxanne and the king and conceal their bodies, but to disclose to no one else what had been done. When Glaucias had carried out the instructions, Cassander, Lysimachus, and Ptolemy, and Antigonus as well, were relieved of their anticipated danger from the king. For henceforth, there being no longer anyone to inherit the realm, each of those who had ruled over nations or cities entertained hopes of royal power and held the territory that had been placed under his authority as if it were a kingdom won by the spear. So somewhat anticlimatically, Diodorus concludes by saying, this was the situation in Asia and Greece and in Macedonia, which I think is just funny. Alexander the Fourth and Roxana is dead, but we're not done quite yet.
1: Oh, we gotta rank them.
0: Well, we're almost done. Don't worry. But before the ranking, maybe Alex the Fourth's legacy reaches beyond the grave. That's right. Is in he a...
1: also a ghost on the throne like his father?
0: Not really. But in a stunning turn of events, much like his grandpa Philip and uncle Arhadias. We might just know where baby Alex is buried. We got a body. We got a body, folks. We got a body. Now, we talked at great length about this before in our episodes about Philip II and Hadias. As we will recall, in 1977, four tombs were discovered at the ancient burial ground of Macedonian kings at the city of Aigai, which is modern-day Vergina. There's more there, of course, including a palace and a Templar area, and I think more tombs have been discovered as of 2014. But the first four discovered are the most famous and the ones that are important to us right now. The biggest debate surrounds the identity of tombs one and two, namely, which one belonged to Philip II and which belonged to Arhadias. Now, I think I unfortunately have flip flopped in my own accuracy in previous episodes. But that's because the debate is still ongoing. There are multiple articles that go back and forth on the issue, each one claiming to have the definitive answer. And every time, like in the Philip episode, I would read one that says, we now know it's tomb one. And then I would read something in the Hard Dias episode, like, well, we now know it's tomb two. And that's all me, but that's actually indicative of how confusing it is. My bad. Thankfully, we're not going to engage that debate here. Because, as you may recall, there were four tombs. And yes, it seems possible that in Tomb Three is the body of Alexander the Fourth. In contrast to Philip and Arhadias, there seems to be no debate surrounding this, or the evidence is pretty straightforward and conclusive. Oh. Okay. Ni- yeah, in 1978, Tomb Three was discovered, which actually had not been disturbed by grave robbers, and contained the cremated remains of a king. An analysis of the bones revealed that the king was a young boy of around thirteen to sixteen years of age. According to Nicholas Hammond, the only possible king of that age in the second half of the 4th century was Alexander the Fourth. He was the last of the line of Abintas. Fun fact, Meredith, did you know that that Nicholas Hammond guy that I just mentioned, he was a British spy in World War II?
1: No. That's and,
0: cool. Yeah, and a historian. Cool. I mean, these older dudes are badass, man. Inside the tomb were uh, a mural or a fresco of chariot racing, spears, including one wrapped in golden foil, a suit of armor, and some athletic equipment. So let's rate him. All right. You ready? Here we go. This will be the quickest one ever. I'm pretty sure this will be a quick one. One, two, three. Aristea, Aristea. Battle prowess. And... uh, I'm sorry. uh, Co-host first.
1: I will give one point for my imagined image of him on his own little chariot with his own little sword in his grandma's camp.
0: (laughs) That's adorable. I'm going to go zero. No, that's fine totally right. um uh, so that's zero for me one for you for our stay okay number two you tickia <laughs> success how'd he do or what did he do poorly nothing Zero. Zero. all right yeah, yeah. i was
1: about to be like well our hedaios at least got a one but nah
0: yeah but like uh, with our Hadias, we had that moment yeah in Babylon. of him being yeah. like
1: please stop
0: yeah oh. now again we're not taking anything away from alexander the fourth here it's not insulting him or criticizing him. yeah he, he was a child he didn't have a chance <laughs> yeah Acon image now this kid gets some points for this you go ahead and get us started mayors what'd you find
1: so i have this painting called roxana with alexander the fourth aegis oh yeah hey, his nickname. that's that
0: that's the yeah that's the incorrect mm-hmm. nickname mm-hmm. interesting the
1: incorrect the son of alexander the great this is a much later painting looks like somewhere in the 16th century
0: oddly enough painted by a guy named alessandro
1: Mm-hmm. we've got baby alex here as oh baby he's embarrassed his mother in this very important meeting by pulling down her shirt
0: yeah i think he's like looking at this other dude and he's like hey shut up i'm hungry
1: well, my thing is, I don't know who the other guy's supposed to be.
0: I don't know either, but he's pointing up at the ceiling for something. He's like, and up he's there. He's
1: trying. Man. He's, it's a, it's like, pull your shirt up. Your
0: shirt. <laughs> off. He's like, uh, up, up.
1: Man, just... but that's Baby Alex in theory in happier times. We have here.
0: That's an alien.
1: That is a hat. No, this is a, a depiction of him in a, Egypt, styled a as a pharaoh.
0: That's a hat for aliens. That's very yeah, interesting. So we yeah. have an
1: Egyptian depiction, which we know. In Egyptian art, all pharaohs look the same. So this appears to be him as an older person, irregardless of the fact that he never became an older person.
0: Now, this is fascinating. It looks like that was dated to 315, which would mean that this was commissioned when he was in prison.
1: Ptolemy's weird.
0: No, I mean, I think it just goes to show that, like, these were not empty titles or puppets, at least at mm-hmm. first. They were really looked at as legitimate rulers. yeah you know so arhidaios and alex yeah
1: so we got that got um, that and then there's this coin here which i'm not as sure about i mean it is very much in the style of the coin that we saw for alexander and the coin that we saw for Arhadios. so it you know it's not out of the realm of yeah. possibility that this is supposed to be him but once again we have a much older person here i say much i say like in your 20s but this is a depiction of him as an adult, and we know he did not make it mm-hmm. to adulthood, so that's what we have. You know, we have in the past given points for contemporary images, and that Egyptian yeah. hieroglyphic, sure, I at least feel confident saying is contemporary.
0: Can you click on the coin, make it bigger? Yeah, let me look at that because it's got some imagery there, like you're saying.
1: I mean, very much like the coin we had for Alex and the coin we had for our yeah. This this just seems to be standard Macedonian yeah. king coin.
0: Yeah, that line at least on the reverse side you can actually see the word Alexandros or Alexandru. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to look at this other one looks like he's got that um that lion's scalp helmet mm-hmm. that Alexander would wear. Now, I know that it's hard to tell with these things, but I will tell you like a lot of the ancient world they did their best to try to show distinctions. And I'm not trying to be mean when I say this. That the person on this coin's got a bit of a pudgy face. And I don't think Alexander was de- depicted with that kind of a full face. So that actually might lend credence to the idea of this being an authentic, at least, depiction of Alexander the Fourth. And we will, of course, post these links to these images online. That's that's a good find right there.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at the coins we posted of our Hidaios- they all have that kind of lion's mane depiction, but you can definitely tell differences in the faces that this isn't just co- copy-paste.
0: Cool. No, I'll give him a five. What do you think?
1: That's fair. All right. So that's a ten. All
0: right. Mania. Craziness. Zero. Yeah, he didn't do anything. No. No. And then... Kronos. Time. Now, here we have to have a little bit of a discussion. So I've already decided. Okay. I'm just
1: going from the moment he was born because it was decided before he was born that if he was a boy, he'd be co-king, so.
0: Well, Meredith, that Mm. is something that I completely agree with, so. Oh, good. No discussion there. (laughs) Yeah, so that's 13 years, which makes him equal to Alex. He gets 20 points.
1: That shoots him out way ahead.
0: Um, All right. Catastrophe. Did he die a peaceful death or did something bad happen? something bad something real bad happened. forgot to tell you there was a rumor he might have been poisoned but
1: why can't we just no I'm not going to say that
0: you you were going to say why can't we just have a good stabbing what's wrong with the world today no I was
1: going to say why can't we just have a good smother in your sleep
0: join us for our first patreon episode where Meredith and I discuss and rank the different how we would
1: like to die (laughs) the
0: different trauma levels all right give me some give me give me some scores
1: being carried by the skin of his teeth, I mean, being king since you were a baby, he has 31 points.
0: So where does that put him in comparison to others?
1: In the only thing that matters to you, he has beat Perdiccas. woo That has him Eumenes, number one, Antipater, number two, Baby Alex, number three.
0: Perdicus number four.
1: Perdiccas, number four, Eurydice, number five, and Arhidaios in last place
0: meredith does he get the alexander standard would you stop someone in the street and tell them about baby alex no you want to surprise you meredith yeah i agree let's not give him the standard
1: okay i yeah. was like we've got nothing
0: i subverted your expectations doubly there because you were like how's he gonna do it how's he gonna do it and then i didn't For you see i'm an agent of chaos okay yeah so baby alex does not get the alexander standard sorry buddy not your fault all right meredith do we have any social media or anything that exists of such of such a nature?
1: And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating or a review. And if you'd like to connect with us further, you can find us on Facebook at the Alexander Standard Podcast, Instagram at Alexander Standard Pod, Twitter at Alex Standard Pod, or you can email us at AlexanderStandardPod at gmail.com.
0: Yeah, and I just want to go ahead and toss on that. Hey, send us questions. I'm a nerd and I love to talk. Next episode's gonna be, none other, Polyparagon, the Dancing Clown. And until that time, this has been The Alexander Standard. <laughs> <laughs> we find Are you to, okay? We gotta find, I'm, I'm awesome, man. We gotta find a way to keep that in there. You just keep yes. yawning and I'm like, poor thing.